We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody. This is Alex Golden here from Setting the Pace. And just want to let you guys know that we have started a YouTube show on our Setting the Pace channel called The Blue and Golden. I'm the host of that where I have on different media personalities, maybe players later on, but so far just now, media personalities, fans of the team on the show to talk about the Indiana Pacers with me on a one-on-one conversation. So today you're going to get a sample of that here on the Setting the Pace Blue Wire Podcast Network feed on our channel. So want to let you guys know this is not a Setting the Pace episode with me and Fachi, but this is a solo interview that I'm doing with Derek Schultz. I think you guys are pretty familiar with Derek. He's been covering Indiana sports for the past 15 plus years. So Derek really has an idea of what Indiana sports is all about. And so I think you guys are going to really enjoy our conversation. We're going to specifically talk about Miles Turner and the season he's having and what that could mean for the future of the Indiana Pacers and for Miles himself. And then we also dive into a conversation about Rick Carlisle and his impact on the team. So we talk about other stuff in between there as well, but those are the two main talking points. So hope you guys enjoy this and uh, we'll be back. Uh, me and Fachi will be back tomorrow after Pacers Hornets to talk about that game. So uh, be tuned for that. But I want to let you guys know this is an episode of the Blue and Golden that'll be normally found on our YouTube channel, Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. Because it was near the end of the shot clock and he didn't take it. Ball loose, Matherin. I didn't there in time, I can tell you that. Oh my! Oh! Here's another three. What an old young man! I'd like to watch Jalen sign his contract with a special Pacers pin. Heald has the rebound. He and Halliburton. They lob it up. Lay it in. All right, everybody. We are back for episode three of the Blue and Gold here exclusively on the YouTube channel, Setting the Pace of Pacers podcast. So if you guys haven't subscribed, make sure you subscribe and uh, just let us know what you think of the show. But Joining me today is no stranger to the Indiana sports media. It's the one and only Derek Schultz. Derek, thanks so much for joining, man. The one and only. I like that. Thanks, I, man. I, unfortunately, I, I do that for that, a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, you are the only Derek Schultz that I know. So yeah, there is, you go. Yeah, that is right. true. <laughs> uh, so obviously, like this Pacers team has been really fun this season. Uh, through twelve games, they're six and six, and I think they're probably surprising almost every fan just based on the message that we heard going into the season, like. It's a young team. It's going to be hard to come by wins. You know, wins are going to be hard to come by. And and it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, what are we getting ourselves into here? Uh, young rookie that we're excited to see that kind of thing. But 
there's always been this question mark of what's going to happen with Miles Turner. And this has been the longest tenured pacer now. He's coming into his eighth season. And quite frankly, he feels like he's got a lot to prove still. And so far this season, he's setting career high numbers with 17.9 points per game and 8.7 rebounds per game, which, you know, those are career highs. And he's just playing a lot differently than we've probably seen before in the last four to five years. So you've been watching this Pacers team since Miles has been here. So I'm just curious. Maybe there's a couple of different things you've noticed, but maybe just start off with one thing that you've noticed with Miles Turner that's maybe different than maybe the prior years that you've seen from him this season. I, I think mentally he's in a much different space this year than he has been in the past. And I don't think that that's necessarily like Sabonis related or, or that it's, you know, just one thing. Um, I just think that he at some point must have said to himself, look, I'm just going to control what I can control. I've constantly been in trade rumors for like the last four or five years. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to go out there and play. And the thing about Miles is that while I do feel for him sometimes because of all of this stuff that he's been attached to over the years, I mean, let's face it, Miles sometimes steps into himself, right? I mean, there have been times where he's needed to put his foot in his mouth, including recently. Um, But I think that's, you know, contract year, right? If I get traded, cool. If I don't get traded, cool. This is an incentive for me to go out and and get this big deal and get paid. And and I think just the light switch is – kind of flipped on for him. Um, I don't think he's going to be the player that he was during this homestand where he's going like 21 and 12 every night or what, you know, <laughs> whatever his averages were. Like, I don't think he's that level of guy. But um, what's always kind of bothered me about the Miles conversation, um, Alex, and I know that you haven't done this, but there have been fans that deride him to the point where it's like, well, let's just trade him for a bag of basketballs. And look, the, the guy is a, a extremely useful NBA player with a skill set that is an asset. Like, yeah. he's not an all-star, he's not an all-NBA guy, and he, he probably will never be either of those two things, but he has a skill set that is useful that other teams want and and that the Pacers can use or other teams can use. And, and I think that's kind of lost in this whole thing with the frustration of trade miles and all of that. I, I think people have kind of blinded themselves into thinking that he's just not worth anything, and, and he absolutely is worth something it's just I I think some people have invented in their mind what Miles Turner was supposed to be and if he didn't reach that level then he's automatically a failure and I I just think that's a really short-sighted way of of looking at his career in total totally agree with that and I think you know you can't deny that the Sabonis Turner debate did cause a lot of these trade rumors to even circulate even more and then as crazy as it sounds drafting Gogo Batadze after putting Sabonis into the starting lineup even caused more rumors to keep going. So, I mean, Sabonis had a breakout year, had an all-star year. Miles kind of had to play second fiddle to a certain degree uh, in terms of the offensive side of things. And there's no denying that those two playing together did cause quite a bit of controversy. And so now he's got that behind him. They traded Sabonis. They got Tyrese Halliburton. He was injured. They couldn't make a trade last year for him. And I think there's a good chance his value would have been higher last season had he been healthy, just knowing that teams would have that one extra year to kind of get an idea of what he might be if he is healthy. But you go into this season, and like you said, he's playing for something more. And as Pacer fans, I've seen a lot of people say, extend this guy. He's been playing lights out, like he's fitting perfect with this team and that kind of stuff. But I think one thing that we forget to do is put on the the, the lens of Miles Turner and see what he wants. Because as Pacer fans, you can want Miles Turner here all you want, but 
when your name's constantly been in trade rumors like this and you feel like you've been slighted, especially when they offer a max contract to DeAndre Ayton like they did in the, in the offseason, yeah. you have to realize that they don't value you as much as they may say they do. Now, they value in terms of what they get back, but it has to be a little bit of a slap in the face to kind of constantly hear your name in rumors, know what's real, what's not. He even admitted that he thought he was going to Boston a few years ago. So at this point, it would be his first time to enter free agency, is entering his prime just playing on a Pacers team that is likely going to be, you know, on the rise in terms of trying to make the playoffs sound uh, attractive to him? Or would he rather go to a team that's got playoff aspirations where he can kind of fulfill those dreams that he's always had of being an NBA player in the playoffs? Yeah, it's a great question and and one that I, I don't know the answer to because I, I can't speak to the operation of what he's thinking um, because he's, for the most part, said good things about the organization and about I want to be here and all of that. But obviously we've heard that, but this is Indiana, right? You yeah. Know, we've heard that before with other guys for a long time. I've felt like this was inevitably heading to uh, a, a fork in the road where the two parties just decide to drift off and, and go their own separate directions. And I've always felt like that would be the best thing for miles and, you know, maybe that would be the best thing for the Pacers as well, just sort of a, a change of scenery. And, you know, with the trade deadline uh, a couple of months away uh, and all of that, you know, I'm assuming that the Pacers are going to still explore that if they think that an extension is out of the question. I don't think they're going to let him walk for nothing. But with the way that he's playing this year, at least maybe you would entertain like like I don't think in August most people were even willing to entertain the thought of extending Miles Turner or or trying to extend because like you said Alex you make a good point it, it takes two to tango here right mm-hmm. he, he has to agree to it yeah. um but now and twelve games is a very small sample size let's put that out there too but if he keeps playing at this level maybe that enters back into the conversation you see yourself okay um if you're Kevin Pritchard. Maybe this is a piece that we end up rolling forward with. But if you're asking me right now in November, whatever it is, November 15th, you know, gun to my head, is Miles Turner a pacer a year from right now? I, I would say no. Um, hmm. I, I've just felt for a long time that this was going to – this relationship was eventually just going to die of natural causes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, he kind of openly said it on the Woj pod. Like when they asked him about it, he said, look, they can't lose me. He said anything. I think he meant nothing. You know, they can't lose me for nothing. It's no hard feelings if they trade me. They've been pretty open and honest. And, you know, the front office has talked about that. Like they let their guys know when it's getting close to yeah. being a finished deal. And, you know, sometimes that can hurt you and, you know, in terms of negotiation because stuff can leak if it's not all the way there and you're letting a guy know that he's, you know, potentially being talked about in a serious trade. But, you know, I just feel like on court, though, we're seeing a different side of Miles that we've never seen before. And I think. You know, people can say, oh, it's because Sabonis isn't there. And I think that is partially true. I think also it's partially true the type of style of offense they're playing this year compared to what he played with before with the slowdown, you know, Brogdon kind of style. You know, he never had a Tyrese Halliburton. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, Miles is playing with a chip on his shoulder and he's playing more assertive than I've ever seen him play before. And I felt like this is stuff he could have done in prior years. But it's just maybe he's just finally got to that point where instead of being more passive and a team guy, he's going to be a me guy this year and, and not in a bad way. Just I got to go out and get mine and show that I belong in this league. And I am uh, an upper echelon center because at this point, I think a lot of people would say great shot blocker, but too inconsistent to be a top center in the league. 
more, you know, middle of the pack, maybe the the front half of that top 30 centers, right? Maybe that like 10 to 15 range. But he thinks that he is a top five, top seven center. And he's got to have that mentality when he plays. And I think, like you said, mentally, he's in a better spot than he ever has been. So that to me is one thing I've noticed, just him being super assertive. Yeah. And I think that that's what fans have been asking for for a long time. Um, because the big complaint with Miles always was when he would get in these matchups with, and, and I know this is, a, it's really unfair to even compare him to Embiid, but Embiid or Steven, you know, Steven Adams, he, he just get ragdolled. He was just get tossed aside yeah. and fans <laughs> wanted him to buck up a little bit and say, you know, you know what, like hold your ground. Um, you're this big shot blocker and this fearsome defender. Let, let's see it when, when you're facing a, another really true five physical big and, I think that mentality as um, I, I think it's there's almost a difference to me between like being confident, you know, you know, confident and arrogant. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Miles sometimes thinks a little too highly of himself, but you need to harness that confidence a little bit when you're out there on the court. You, you need to have that a little bit of an inflated sense <laughs> of self um, just to put together the, the season that he's put together so far. So I, I agree with you. I, I do think that. Maybe he's let go a little bit more. Um, maybe there's less pressure now and just I'm going to let things happen as they happen. And I do think up-tempo and and maybe feeling a little bit less of the burden offensively because there are so many guys now that can score on this roster. I, I think all of those things um, have, have been, a, a, again, like I said, taking to the beginning of the conversation, I don't think it's one thing. Like, I don't think it's just a bonus departure. I, I think it's a combination of a lot of l different little things. And I, and I totally agree with that. I mean, when I was at the season ticket holder uh, meetup with Miles last Wednesday after the uh, loss of the Nuggets in a close game where he missed that game tying three, right? Like, Denary just said, like, you know, going up against a back-to-back -back MVP, like, you know, that's a heck of a player. Uh, How would you think you played against him? I thought I thought you played well. He was like, yeah, well, you call him a heck of a player. Well, I'm a heck of a player, too. And I just thought to myself, like, okay, like, that's that's okay to be confident in that way in yourself, right? Like, mm -hmm. if he said, yeah, it's really tough going up against a two-time MVP, like, I had my hands full, like, you don't want to hear that. You want to hear a guy kind of showcase, like, okay, yeah, I'm, uh, I've am i got what it takes to hang with the best in the league. And, you know, I had no problem with him saying that, and I know some fans that don't like him would be like, oh, there he goes again talking big about himself, and you know, I personally feel like we talked about this on our podcast on setting the pace on uh, Monday night, looking at, you know, who's been the most impressive this season. You know, Miles was right up there for us. I mean, he probably has impressed us more than I think anybody uh, on the team besides Benedict Matherin, in my opinion, just because it's been consistent. And mm -hmm. that's been the thing with Miles. Like we saw him get benched in Brooklyn and it was kind of like he did the Woj pod and then Carlisle ended up benching him in that game and he was visibly frustrated and that was the last road game, right? So then they've been home for these past two weeks, basically. So it's been a very favorable schedule for him in terms of, like, getting more acclimated with his teammates after coming back from the ankle injury he served, uh, had at the beginning of the season, you know. So overall, though, I just feel like he's shooting the ball with more confidence. He's attacking the rim a little bit more. He's more active on the glass. He's doing what he does shot blocking-wise. And he's been a leader, but I still think, like everyone's talked about, it starts with Tyrese Halliburton, and I think his leadership and his positive energy has kind of played a factor, not just on the whole team, but I think it also has given Miles more confidence than maybe he's had before. Yeah, and there, there's something just different when suddenly you're the old guy in the room and there are just a bunch of kids around you, basically. <laughs> and, and that's sort of just what's happened seemingly overnight for Turner, right? 
where before you've got this core of, you know, Brogdon and Levert and Sabonis and all these guys that have been in the league, you know, five, six, seven years, whatever it is. And and now you've got guys that have been in the league one, two, three years. Um, And I I think the whole thing, it's going to sound cliche, but everyone is succeeding right now to me because the success is just kind of contagious. Like, you know, Buddy Heald's shooting really well right now, and that's got to feel good when you're Halliburton, you're setting him up for a three and it, and it goes in, or or Matherin attacking the way that he does, and that's got to feel good if you're sitting there and you're, I don't know, Andrew Nemhard or somebody, and you're on the court with him, you know? It just, it feels like they're all sort of feeding off of each other, where they're in a space where they don't know that they were supposed to be bad because they've never been together like this. They don't, they don't you know, what this team was supposed to be in August is completely irrelevant to the guys that are on the court and they're seeing that virtually every night they're in position to win games. And that's far better than even the most optimistic Pacer fan I think would have thought through the first 12 games. Yeah. I mean, I still have fans tell me they're going to make the playoffs this year. So I would say, uh, you know, you never know, but at the same time, it's, uh, and you still... get laughed out of the room, right? If you, if you yeah. brought that up labor day, you'd get laughed out of the room. Like even the <laughs> play in round, you would have gotten laughed out of the room. Um, and, and now at least you can like have that conversation <laughs> and not and not be viewed as a crazy person. Um, but so it's it's you can't say enough about it. I mean, it's it's a breath of fresh air. It's uh, they're filling the void that has been kind of. I know the Colts won last week, but you know, let's face it, they're not in a, a space right now where they're entertaining every single week. And I, I think fans are gravitating over towards the Pacers because it's new and fresh and fun and. It just shows that every decision that they made last year when they finally decided to make it was the right decision. And this thought that, oh, we got to keep floating around at, you know, 40-ish wins and the sixth seed in the East to get people excited. No, man, like put a good product on the floor. People get excited about that. Give them hope. And, And people get excited about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think one thing that's kind of underrated is just like maybe some sometimes the best thing is having zero expectations for yeah, your team. Because you go into a season thinking, okay, we got to at least be the four seed so we can have a home playoff series, right? Or or we, we got to be at least top six so we can avoid the play. And like we don't want to have to worry about that, you know? And so it's like all this pressure, you know, it can make the season seem kind of like bogged down with just like, Every little win is just like nitpick, you know, you overthink everything. But when you go with zero expectations, just like, all right, let's see what these guys can do. And then Matherin puts up 18 points in the second quarter, and you're just like, who is this guy? Is he like the next coming of Jesus or something? You know, it's like, this guy is just unbelievable. But 
I and they blew an 18 point lead in that game. Right. I mean, exactly. so, and, and you're still talking about it. Like, well, this was great. Like yeah. it's the whole thing about not having expectations. You could blow an 18 point lead and you, you kind of shrug your shoulders at the end of that. And you're like, Hey, that was, that was a fun two hours. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, it's a different feeling. I, I completely agree. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of that also starts from the top. And that's where I want to transition here into our last uh, topic of discussion. That's Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle, obviously did not sign up to be the coach of a team that's going through what you would call a youth movement. Maybe not a rebuild, but a youth movement is a nice way to put it. And kind of just put the reset button on the Indiana Pacers franchise of not being this consistently, uh, this this consistent team that's always in the playoffs, right? So he's been a part of this, part of this youth movement. I'm sure that he's had some say in like what he's looking for in players and that kind of thing with the front office. But with Rick Carlisle, at the helm, I feel like this team is in such a better position to embrace um, what you would call a youth movement compared to maybe having just someone there that's trying to win and trying to prove that they you know, can still coach in the league, kind of like similar to Navy York or someone like that. Carlisle's a proven veteran coach, right? And so he's not worried about wins and losses. He's worried about development for the better men of the future where he doesn't have to have that pressure on him to win. So I just feel like, you know, last year I was kind of questioning some of his decisions and how he used players, but... This season, I feel like we're finally getting to see the style of basketball he envisioned coaching when he got here, and we're starting to see this team really just play super well in that system. Yeah, when you have a bunch of guys on the floor learning on the job, I, I don't think you want to have a head coach that's learning on the job. You know, that's the way that mm -hmm. I would sort of put it. Obviously, there's a stark difference between Bjorgren and, and Carlisle and, and all of that, but if we're going to use that example, you know, Nate was trying to learn on the job, and Carlisle's been around it for 30 years. So yeah. it, it's just, it's, it's apples and potatoes. Um, I, and I agree with you that I, I think that's actually been a beneficial thing for the Pacers to not have some young head coach that's trying to prove something or anything like that. Look, I don't, I don't think uh, Carlisle or any coach's decision making is infallible. Um, but I do think that he's the right guy to, to guide it along. And, and I think what he kind of brought to the table was, a voice to sort of get everybody on the same page. Like, okay, guys, like, I'm here. What the hell are we doing now? Okay, this is not what I was originally supposed to do. So let's talk. Let's sit at the table and let's decide what's going on here. And and again, I, I point to last January, and, and I think getting everyone, Simon, Pritchard, Buchanan, Carlisle, get everybody on the same page, make a plan, stop these tweaks on the fly, and, and, you know, just kind of flying by the seat of your pants, like, let what is this thing going to be? What What is the one-year plan, the three-year plan, the five-year plan? And I think the Pacers have, you know, luckily with <laughs> Matherin playing as well as he has and and the Halliburton trade happening the way that it did and, and Buddy Heald, who's supposed to be just some throw-in with a bad contract, ends up being a very useful player uh, for you in the now. Um, I think that's what's really kind of changed the dynamic for the Pacers. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think one point you can even bring up is just like, we've been talking about this team needing a veteran in the locker room for how many years? Like, just kind of a grown-up that's going to keep this culture together. And this season, instead of putting Kendall Brown on the 15-man roster and giving him that opportunity to maybe, you know, be on the 15-man roster, go to the G League some, but but still get a chance to play, they decided to sign him to a two-way and bring in a guy like James Johnson who, you know, I've only heard great things about the positive energy that he's brought into that, not only practice facility, but the locker room. Like, just even when he's playing, you can just tell, like, 
he's always encouraging guys. He's letting people know when it's time to do stuff. And he'll get on people. Like he'll get on Miles if he doesn't do something right. And I think you need that accountability in a veteran. And Rick Carlisle, having previously coached him, kind of knows like, okay, this is a guy that I would like in our locker room for our young people. And another thing that I've really liked from Carlisle, it's like after Miles had that huge game against the Pelicans, right, 37 points, like everyone starts talking about that because like, wow, Miles, like a big game for him. And Carlisle's like, no, 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 this is a team win. I want to focus on this player and that player and that player because he's trying to make sure that it's not just like, oh, Halliburton's getting all the praise and Matherin's getting all the praise because he had a big time and like a big game. It's like, no, I want to talk about what Neesmith did and, and Jalen did and all this kind of stuff. And I think him being able to kind of not allow that narrative to grow where we're just focusing on one or two players, he's able to like get the respect of everybody in the locker room, especially guys that aren't playing, uh, to be like bought into what's going on here. Because you got to imagine like, uh, a guy like O'Shea Brissett kind of having to work his way back into the rotation after he had a, a solidified spot last year, it's got to be hard for him to like be super, super engaged and everything. But I feel like he's handled things greatly. And that's where I'm just like, you don't do that for a coach you don't respect. And I think that's kind of where Carlisle just got the respect of the entire locker room. Yeah, Brissett's a good example because when, when you have somebody that just willingly – takes a back seat the way that he has and then okay just use me when you're going to use me as frustrating as that must be for him that's when you know that the the culture is pretty good um and with James Johnson whenever you can get somebody that's played for all 30 NBA teams on your roster uh, <laughs> you got to do it right i mean god that guy that guy has seen everything so he's seen good basketball bad basketball and everything in between and i i would guess that he's played with 300 different people so I think it is great to have somebody like that. And, and the Pacers' successful teams seemingly has al have always kind of had that veteran presence. I, I know people talk about David West, but I'm talking more like end-of-the-bench Al Jefferson-type guys where, um, you, you know, they're not frontline players, but they're the veteran presence just from their presence. They're, mm. they're not necessarily contributing night in and night out points and rebounds and stats, um, but just kind of contributing and in, in all the stuff that we're not seeing. So um, the roster construction is is impressive. Their depth is is better than it's been. Um, I think the, the pieces feel like they fit, whereas in past years and recent years, they felt like they, they really just did not fit at all. And Sabonis and Turner, I think, is the golden example of that. It just... It felt like something that you were trying to force, uh, you know, the 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 round peg into the square hole. Um, and this year, it just feels like it it just kind of works and it fits. So I'm fascinated to see where it goes. Um, I I'm not one of those people that's really that worried about them nuking their draft stock because I, I think even right now you've got your backcourt of the future already. You've got two foundational pieces again 12 game sample size i'll attach the qualifier to it but there's just no reason to believe that tyrese halliburton and, and benedict matherin aren't going to be franchise pillars here moving forward and when you've already got two like that and they're both in the backcourt then I, I think you're less thinking about oh my god we have to get the number one big or number two or whatever else if, you, if you're a pacers fan that's a great point because I think a lot of I've, I've had fans that have texted me and they're just like, "What are we doing? Why are we winning so many games? We got to start losing. These games are are too important to to win now." And I'm like, "Well, you got to look at it from this point. We're four games away from first, but four games away from fifteenth right now. So, you know, we're right there in the middle. You go on a losing streak, you could be down there in the lottery. Whatever. I mean, at this point, it's one of those things where, like last year, I was actively rooting for them to just rack up the losses so they get a better draft pick. 
this point in the season, it's hard for me to root for losses because this team is so fun to watch. And yeah. I, I think at, cer- at a certain point, you know, look at what the Pelicans did when they got Zion. They jumped up from like pick seven, right? Uh, the, the Grizzlies had jumped up to pick two in that same draft, and they were blessed with, you know, two franchise-changing players. So I think last year they even said during the, you know, I think Scott Agnes reported this, like during the mock NBA draft uh, lottery that they did before to make sure that it worked, the Spurs, who were at nine, actually ended up getting their lottery ball numbers called for the first overall pick in the in the simulator when they did before. So wow. it's not out of the realm of possibilities that if you're not like in the top three, that you could move up just based on how the lottery is. So I think establishing a culture, Derek, is more important at this point with so many young guys than just going out there and, and just throwing away games left and right to give yourself a 14% chance at maybe landing Victor Wimbanyama. You, you have to, I think, go about it the right way uh, in terms of how you develop and stuff like that. And, you know, we've seen it happen a lot of times. It's just like when you do things the right way, good things come back to you. But uh, when you don't do them the right way, you might get lucky, but you can't bank on that. So having two, like you said, two pillars moving forward, it does make it easier to kind of focus a little bit more on the development of the rest of your team and see what you have because – I've been incredibly impressed with Isaiah Jackson, what he's done this season already. And like, yeah, he's been fantastic. And I mean, he's not playing a ton of minutes, but I love what Carlisle said. Like he's the guy off the bench. that's going to help us play a different style, but miles is our closer right now, but it's, it's great to see what I Jax is doing in that role as a center. And I think um, we're starting to see him just grow as a player so young. And I think he could maybe be a pillar of this team moving forward as well. Yeah. It's, it's weird to say, and, and, I think I have to kind of back off of this take, but last year I said that I, I my hottest Pacers take was that I think Jackson actually has the highest ceiling of every anybody on the roster, mm. and in a way I, I still I still think that ceiling is really high. Like I think there is I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but I, I think there is a scenario where if Jackson really hits, then he becomes you know a, a really good front line level NBA player, whereas you know clearly. Uh, almost already Halliburton is and, and Matherin is, you know, shockingly good this early on here, but yeah, he's, he's kind of the guy that um, I don't want to say gets forgotten about, but with Matherin and Halliburton being so good, you're like, Oh yeah, there's also this, you know, this big, that's what, you know, what is he like 14 years old or whatever he is. And, and, <laughs> and he's already a pretty good player with a, a lot of room for growth. So it's uh it's an exciting time. It's just such a departure from last year where it was just so stale and uh, that core was well past their sell-by date. And, um, you know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not anti-tanking. I think last year, like to close with the 10 game losing skid was beneficial. There was nothing to play for at the end of that year. So I'm not always like, no, don't, don't tank. Um, But in this case, man, just let's just roll the basketball out there and see what happens. Right. I mean, yeah. If if you make the playing round and you lose, then it's not like any these guys are all going to be gone next year. So maybe that will be beneficial. I'm 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 not turned off to the idea of just letting things fall as they fall and worry about the other stuff later. Yeah, I mean, look at that young team that Paul George is a part of when he got into the league his first rookie season. Like they made a coaching change midway through the season, and Vogel kind of led them to the playoffs yeah. to be an eight seed. And I think that experience really helped them. Moving forward, they're like, okay, we got our guy in Paul. You know, we, we, Hibbert was a young guy that was on the team at that point. Obviously, getting David West in free agency was huge. But I think, you know, we almost had DeAndre, I guess, to a certain degree. Like, 
Aiden obviously wanted to come here. He wouldn't decide if he didn't want to be here. He was interested in coming to Indiana from the reports that we've heard. So it's like, you know, you didn't have a great chance of getting him just because Phoenix had the ability to match it. But, you know, a young player like that already intrigued by coming to play with Tyrese Halliburton and what this Pacers organization is doing has to be a little bit exciting if you're the Pacers to know that there may be a, a slim possibility that you could get someone here, whether it's trade or, or whatever. But Isaiah Jackson, I mean, you bring up a great point. His ceiling it is kind of hard to like see what he can eventually become because I think he has great hands. I mean, that's one thing that I don't think people talk about enough. Like his, he's such an elite lob threat. It's unreal. Yeah. Like the left-handed lob right. he had from McConnell uh, against the Nuggets. I just remember watching that. Like that was insane. Like the way he caught it and just came down the paint with it. Like he just, he's ambidextrous with that kind of stuff. He's just, he's a pogo stick is what I call him. And, you know, if he can continue to develop that jump shot, I really think there's something there with him. And now it's just a matter of can he stay out of foul trouble and are there minutes for him? Because mm-hmm. the front court's still a little bit loaded with Miles still here on the team. And so kind of to come back full circle, you know, that could also be another thing that's playing a, a factor into what the Pacers do with Miles is, like you said, maybe they see this upside with Isaiah Jackson. No, it's going to take a few years to develop him but maybe they believe in his upside and what he allows them to do offensively and defensively to a degree uh, differently than what Miles allows them to do. But it's a great place to be sitting because, like I said, you've got the two foundational pieces, and then let's let's just throw Jackson in the mix, a guy that you, know, you, you view as part of your core. And then you have two trade candidates in Heald and Turner who are playing at a really high level and – Especially Heald, I think, is is helping his value tremendously here. Um, I, I thought you made a good point about Turner, where last year was kind of, unfortunately, with him hurt, there's nothing they could do about that. But last year was the time because you you gave the a, a prospective team a year and a half to figure out what they were going to do with him. Whereas now that timeline has shrunk tremendously. If they trade him before the deadline, right, you were talking about, okay, we've got like eight weeks to figure out who this guy is and, and what he's about. Um but I, I just think that the Pacers have played themselves into just a really, really advantageous situation here. And 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 even to the point where, you know, we mentioned it with Turner. Um, this is probably a different conversation because of his age and everything like that. But like even even just holding on to Buddy for another year, like maybe you decide to do that. You know, I um a, a lot of what was said about the Pacers <laughs> and what they were supposed to be ended up not being true. And but in a good way for once, whereas yeah. <laughs> generally it's the other way around where, you know, a lot of a lot of good things are said and then the bad stuff happens. But um, that's what's been the, the most fun about this year, Alex, is that, you know, zero expectations and, you know, this team's going to win 22 games and clearly they're going to be better than that. And and clearly they're um, this process looks like it's going to be a shorter timeline than what we originally thought um, at the end of January of, of 2022. Yeah, I mean, that's that's perfectly said. I, I honestly had no expectations for this team coming into the season. Didn't know what to expect. I was just kind of like, let's see what happens. You know, will the fan base be invested in this team? I was afraid if they started losing a lot of games early on, like, okay, the fan base is going to tune out quickly. But I think with the way Matherin's played, Halliburton's playing on an all-star level, Miles is playing as a fringe all-star kind of guy, buddy shooting lights out. I mean, you just – there's so many things to be excited about this team when you watch them. It's – Hard not to root for him, but uh, Derek, this is going to wrap up our conversation today with us uh, here on the Blue and Gold on the YouTube show. So uh, let people know where they can find you out on social and uh, plug anything you'd like to plug. Yeah, so uh, Twitter's probably got like two or three weeks left before it dies completely, but uh, at Schultzstein75, <laughs> if you want to find me on there, uh, com. Jake and I do our, our 
stupid show uh, once a week, Mondays, <laughs> 7.30, Comcast 81. Um, I'm also uh, contributing for Indie Monthly and um, about to be contributing um, coming up here shortly for um, IBJ. So I'm excited about adding something else onto the uh, onto the Schultz Media LLC rocket ship, I guess. Uh, but I appreciate coming on, man, anytime. And um, I love what you and Fachi do. And it's... Um, it's a great time right now. It, it's and it's rare that we've been able to say that, but this is really just a, a great time to be following this team and the excitement and the hope. And um, it's been a long time coming, so I, I'm I'm excited to see what the future holds for this uh, franchise. Absolutely, man, and I appreciate those kind words. And uh, you know, thanks so much for coming on. I always enjoy our conversations because I know you're, uh, you know, you're just you're just well rounded with this kind of stuff. You know, you're able to see the bigger picture and not just be so narrow minded with. Maybe what some people might think. So, uh, Derek, thanks so much for coming on, and we'll have to do it again soon. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.